morning with Living Stones. Uh, I have the uh, privilege and the honor to continue on in the series that uh, Pat was, uh, share, has been sharing with us through uh, 1 John. And uh, to carry on that, that thought and that idea, that perspective that uh, we are in fellowship with Jesus Christ because of his love for us. And that he brings light and life and truth into our lives. I've got a, as, as it is Father's Day, uh, I got thinking about, you know, some of the memories that I have with my father, and maybe you, I'm sure you may have as well. I brought a flashlight, which is appropriate for the message uh, this morning, but I, one of the first things that I think of is uh, going hunting for night crawlers. Has any of, anybody ever been hunting for night crawlers? Yeah, we've got a few that understand what that's about. Pat, have you taught Josiah how to... Oh, man, he's in for a treat. I remember my dad, you know, he would, he would teach us how to hunt for night crawlers. And you don't just shine the light like this all over the place, just looking for, you know, you have to be very quiet and very gentle. Of course, you're, by the way, we're, we're at the, we're at the uh, summer. Summer is starting here in just a couple days on the 20th, so the days are longer. So you have to, this was so exciting as a kid. You get to stay up later than you normally do. So you can go out the night before you go fishing and get your crawlers, right? And he would shine the flashlight, and then he would say, boys, now watch. When you see that worm down on the ground, and there'll usually be a bunch of them, especially if it's rained really well, you've got to snatch those really fast. And I missed more than I caught. Because, you know, you get so excited and you jump at them and, and they, they just scurry away and they, they're down in their hole. Or they get halfway in and you know what really happens there. If as, a, as a little boy, you pull that and you get half of one. And, of course, it's so gross. But the flashlight is really important. You shine that light on the, gr on the, on the ground and you just see it right at the edge of that light. I have that memory of my dad shining the light and showing me where. And I think that's what we have uh, an opportunity uh, as fathers, right? We shine the light. We shine the light for our children uh, and for our children's children. Uh, and, and, there is, and there should always be this anticipation of the good things that will come. For me, it was I couldn't wait till the next day and we'd take our bait box that we had and was full of all those worms we were so proud to, to catch. And even if we didn't catch any fish, we caught a whole bucket full of night crawlers. But the excitement of, of that adventure that we were going to be on, and for us, it is shining that light because we know that something is going to come from that. If we will shine that light, if we will shine that light, Father, show the way by bringing light and helping us to walk in the world. We do this why? Because we want to leave them something far more significant for them than just a portion of our estate. It's more than just an inheritance. Now, I know my, my sons are waiting for that day. Because they're, they're not going to get much. Katie knows. <laughs> more than that. I think the question is for us, of course, as as not just as moms and dads, but as, as we walk in this world, as followers of Christ, what do we leave people that, that come behind us? As we show the light, we, what do we leave our children, whether they're our real children or they're, our, they're the children that follow us? I think 
we, we have this idea, I want to leave my children a better world because I look at the world the way that it is now and I see inconsistencies. I see death and hurt and pain and brokenness. I, I hate to watch the news. My, my father loves to watch the news. Oh my gosh, and I wish he would stop watching the news because it has some, in some ways turned him so negative. And I'm like, Dad, there's so much more. There's so much more. But we can become cynical. We can become even a little bitter. And we can, in result of that, live in this fear. And it's a good intention. I think it's, it's good for us to want to leave something better behind for those that follow us. But I think, possibly, and, and chew on this for a little bit, I think possibly the better thing for us is not to just wish and desire and want for there to be a better world for our children. Katie and I have been reading through the Bible and right now in Ecclesiastes. Talk about a book written by a cynical man. <laughs> Hevel, he says. It's everything in this world is meaningless. And we can feel that way at times, right? All of this, all of this that, I, that I, I want to live out and yet I see, how, what, what good is it? What good is it? You know, I think it's not just about shielding them from the bad that we see in the world. We give them good things. Jesus would say to, uh, about his father and about us as fathers, which of you fathers, if you're, if you're, child asked you for a fish would give him a what a snake no no i mean i hate snakes that would have been the worst thing for my father to do is lay a snake down when i wanted a fish you know but that's not a good father we have a good father and he gives us good gifts and this is the perspective of john the apostle when he writes this he writes this as a pastor he writes this as a rabbi he writes this as a father. In fact, as Pat mentioned last week, he begins that whole second chapter with these words, my dear children, my dear children, my dear children. He takes on the mantle and the responsibility of a father in his, to his impressionable and vulnerable children. But because of fear, we unfortunately at times, in our good intentions, we insulate our children, rather than showing them how to partner with God in this world today. How do you walk it? That's what our children need to see. Not protection from the world the way that it is, because the world the way that it is is still going to come. come. And you can insulate your children as much as you want, but the best thing that we can do is to show them how to walk. The best thing that we can do is show them light and walk it before them. And as we do, we show them by example. Let's look into uh, John chapter, First uh, John chapter two, starting at verse three. Just want to begin with this: We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says I know Him but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if he obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So you see we're following him. Dear friends, 
I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. And I just want to pause there because John is, he talks about this old command. Does anybody know what it is? What's the old command? It's actually the one that they all know. The readers would have known exactly what John was talking about. We know it. It's the greatest commandment. And every other command in all of Scripture that God gives us in the Torah is a part of that greatest commandment. And so we, we, we hear Jesus' words in Matthew as he's asked, who, what is the greatest command? I just want to preface this before we get into this. It, when you, you've got to read, and it would be another sermon, quite honestly. You could read all of Matthew chapter 22, and you can see the setup here. Because Jesus is going to be confronted by the Pharisees, and then he gives them an answer, and they walk away, don't like it. Then he gives them, so the Sadducees come to him, and they're like, okay, well, that didn't work for them, but I'm going to come in, and I'm going to ask them a question. And then he, he, he um, says something, and, it, and they're not, you know, they're, they're kind of like, oh, my gosh, what an answer, you know. He, he really stopped me in my tracks. But then the Pharisees are going to come back, and they're going to ask him, okay, I think we got you. I think we got you stumped, Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And, of course, Jesus will say in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, we'll just pause there for a second because the Pharisees would have been like, well, of course he's going to say that. Every Israelite is going to know the Shema. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. They learned this from the time that they were little children. The fathers would teach their children. And maybe they didn't know how to read, but they knew how to speak it. And everything flows from this. And then... Jesus will say this, and we know it because we probably all learned it as well. It rolls off just like the first one. Jesus would say, and the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Jesus is doing something here that maybe we, don't, we might not realize because we don't live in that culture. But there, in Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. There were two what they would call yokes. You followed one rabbi or you followed another. And there were two rabbis that were very prominent in those days. There was Rabbi Shammai, who had a teaching, and he had followers. And then there was Rabbi Hillel, who had a teaching, and he had followers. Rabbi Shammai would say, here is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Of course. And then he would say, the second commandment is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, Jesus didn't say that. Shammai said this. The Pharisees were asking Jesus, who do you, who you, who do you stand with? Well, I don't stand with Shammai, and here's the reason why. Because the second command, according to Shammai, is obey the commandments. In other words, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And all of the other commandments that want us to act and behave a certain way. Now, I, I have to make a qualification here because I've preached about Sabbath so many times here at Living Stones. And I'm going to continue to preach it as often as I have an opportunity. 
but there's one that is greater. And Jesus would say, I side with Hillel. I side with Rabbi Hillel, who says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying there's something that is weightier. There's something that carries more weight than obeying the commandments, and that is to love. And that is exactly where John comes from in this letter. He says, I am what's important to God and what's important to me, and what should be important to all of us is to love. Let me, let me unpack that just a little bit for you. Uh, in the Old Testament, we know the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, right? And they march around the, the city uh, several days in a row, and on, a, on the seventh day, they march around the city seven times, they blow the trumpets, and the, the walls come tumbling down. There's songs that are written about this experience. But just before they come, Joshua sends out spies to go to Jericho. And they are found out. And they seek refuge in the house of who? Rahab, the prostitute, who is a citizen of that pagan city. Now she has a choice to make because they've hidden in her place and found hospitality in her home. She has a choice to make. And, and, and this is very real for us. Think about this for a minute. She can either choose to give up those, those spies and say, uh, I need to follow the rules here. I need to do the right thing and give up these spies. Or, and, or I can lie and say they're not in my home and therefore give them refuge and safety. Which do you choose, friends? Both will break a commandment. Both will break a rule. And what Rahab decides to do, by the way, she does it intuitively because she is a pagan prostitute. She doesn't know the law, at least not like the Israelites would know it. And she does intuitively the right thing. She protects the foreigner and that carries more weight than abstaining from lies. And she decides correctly, and therefore, when you read the book of Hebrews, you find her where? In the hall of faith. Rahab is known for her faith, a pagan prostitute who makes a decision which one is weightier, to love your neighbor and maybe tell a lie. And I know that's going to be a lot of conversations around the dinner table this afternoon. Jesus teaches it this way. In Jesus' day, there were two dominant yokes or sets of interpretation. And we, we talked about those differences there. Uh, there's another text where Jesus is asked, or actually, he, Jesus is asked the question, the same question in Matthew. It's in Luke chapter 10, where the, a, te a teacher of the law, a lawyer actually, comes to him and says, well, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, what do you say that it says? And, of course, the man says the same thing that Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, you've done good. Good job. Pat him on the back. And, of course, the lawyer says, but who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Good question. Of course, I don't know. I'm not sure if the man is trying to trap, trap Jesus in this. And maybe he thinks he has. But... 
Jesus, being the good rabbi, is going to teach him through a parable. All rabbis taught through parables, right? We know this. Jesus taught through parables, but he was following suit with all the other rabbis before him, all the fathers before him. And so he takes a common parable, okay? It is the parable of the priest, the Levite, and the Pharisee. Sounds like a joke, right? Okay, forgive me. It's Father's Day, and we're living stones, so i got to tell you one. A priest, a rabbi, and a Pharisee walk into a bar. A priest, a rabbi, and a uh, Pharisee walk into the barn and soon begin their arguing over who is the best at what they do. Eventually, they decide that in order to prove who's best, they would all go out alone into the woods and convert a bear to their respective religion. Forgive me. Uh, a few weeks later, they meet up in the bar, and the priest announces, I found a bear by the river, and I started talking to him about the Lord. And he liked it so much that he now comes to Mass every week. Well, the pastor, he says, well, I saw a bear in the clearing, and I started reading him the Bible. And he loved it so much that he's now going to be baptized at Baptism Sunday at Living Stones. Actually, there's, <laughs> it works with the story you told me about the bear. <laughs> I'm sure Pat will tell you about that one. The priest and the pastor turn and look at the rabbi, who now has a broken arm and a fractured collarbone and several cuts and bruises. The rabbi says, you know what? Looking back, maybe I shouldn't have started with circumcision. <laughs> I'm so glad you're all laughing. <laughs> and nobody's throwing stones at me. <laughs> Whatever the context, content of the parable was, the characters were always the same. And in each played a sim a similar, a, a same, the same role. The priest would do it wrong. The Levite would also do it wrong. But the rabbis would teach that the Pharisee would always do it right. That might bother you a bit because we think of the Pharisee as being the person that always had conflict with Jesus. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisee was the one you looked up to because they were devoted to the text. They were devoted to the right answers. And they knew all of them. And they had all these regulations. And constantly, Jesus would come to them and say, you have all the right rules. You have all the right regulations. But you're not loving. You're keeping people out rather than drawing people in. And in, so, in response to the neighbor question, Jesus pulls out <laughs> the priest, the rabbi, and the Pharisee. And he talks about the priest. And, of course, we know what the priest does in the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan. He walks around the man who is left for dead. And the Levi will come to, up to this man who had been robbed and beaten up and is, and is laying there in his blood and the Levi, Levite, would walk around this poor man that needs help. Now, before you judge the priest and the Levite too quickly, remember who they are. It's the priest and the Levite. They were the ones who would make sure that they didn't touch anything unclean. And here's a man who may be dead, they don't know, and he's certainly lying in blood, 
and they're probably on their way to the synagogue or to the temple, and they're like, I can't, I can't stop. I've got something important to do. And they walk around. It's, it's going to happen. But then, <laughs> Jesus said, a Samaritan came along. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We know the story so well that we get this lullaby effect and we forget that it's supposed to be, according to rabbinical teaching, the priest, the Levite, and the what? The Pharisee. But Jesus, he has a mic drop moment. In the, he says, I'm going to switch it up on you, and I'm not going to talk about the Pharisee. I'm going to talk about the Samaritan. Well, who's the Samaritan? Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shammai would say, uh, when you ask Rabbi Shammai, uh, who, do you who are you supposed to love? And, and Rabbi Shammai would say, well, you, you love your fellow Jew. And then you ask them the next question, well, what about the Romans? Well, they're your enemy. You don't have to love them. Rabbi Hillel, if you go to him and you ask him, who, do you, who, who is my neighbor? I mean, uh, who should I love? Well, if you love your fellow Jew. Well, how about the Roman? And Rabbi Hillel will say, well, you should love him too. And then you ask Rabbi Hillel, who, how about the Samaritan? And he would say, no, you never love the Samaritan because they're outside of us. They're, they're half-breeds. They're, they're, they abandoned their, their faith. And then Jesus, in this moment, he takes all of the teaching about all of these people, and he says, but a Samaritan, very much like Rahab again, who was a pagan that none of them would touch, he stops. She bends down, carries this man who has been robbed and beaten, puts him on his donkey, and takes him and cares for him. Jesus said, this is what it means to be a neighbor. This is what it means to carry out the greatest and the second greatest commandment. pushes the envelope, and I hope it pushes our envelope. It does for me. It does for me. In John chapter 2, uh, 1 John chapter 2, he goes on to say, let me get back to that, starting at verse 8, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Not only Jesus, well, first of all, I just want to stop here and think about back in my, uh, with my kids. I'm thinking about the way that I've watched them treat people that are neighbors. Uh, when we were, when my kids were growing up, our kids were growing up, we used to love to take them camping. We, we could never afford to go to Disney. Uh, but we had a lot of fun with the old $300 pop-up camper that we kind of renovated along the way and it broke down on us from time to time and the cables would break and if you've been there and done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
you do a lot of work to get out in the woods for just a few days, but we had a great time. And I'll never forget one day when Daniel and Noah were very young, uh, we had a, a, a camper stove, and then I had a camper oven that folded up, you know, the metal one, and we put that on the stove, and in the mornings, we would make the Pillsbury cinnamon rolls. Uh, I want some now, because they always smelled so wonderful. I mean, they were so little and everything, but, uh, but it, would make, it would just, the, the aroma would come out of this camper, and, uh, and we, ha we always had more than we needed. And I'll never forget, we always call it uh, cinnamon roll evangelism <laughs> because our boys took those leftover cinnamon rolls and they passed them around the campground. They were loving their neighbor. Just a couple years ago, actually, very similar story. Uh, we're, uh, the five of us are in Pennsylvania for a family reunion. And my wife, as many of you know, is a wonderful baker. Uh, can't you tell? And uh, she made cupcakes for this, this gathering, and a lot of cupcakes. And uh, we brought a bunch home. And on the way home, on the turnpike in Ohio, there was a huge accident. We didn't see it. It was miles ahead of us. But we were there for three hours. Fortunately, the rest area for us was just right across the uh, barrier. But we're sitting in the car, and everybody else is sitting in the car. Engine's off. People are getting out of their cars, and, and so we took the leftover cupcakes, and our kids passed them around to all of the drivers uh, that were there. You know, you just, you just do what you can. You love, I mean, those are simple things, but I, I tell you those stories because even today, maybe in the small things and the large things, my children, my children have become my teacher. They have become my mentors because they're showing me how to love. They're showing me what it's like. They're, they're the ones that are shining the flashlight for their pops <laughs> so that I can see how to walk. I can see love. During the pandemic, they taught me it's not about my comfort and my privilege. And we wrestled with that, didn't we? Shouldn't have to wear a mask. What are you talking about all this? I can't gather together and all of it. And we, we preach sermons through this whole experience, but they taught me that it's not my actions. Whether I have the right to do something or not, it affects other people. My actions affect other people. And in so doing, I have the opportunity to show people what Christ looks like. In 1 John chapter 4, and forgive me, Pat, actually I already asked permission. First uh, John chapter 4, I'm going to go over, I'm going to go to verse 16, because John just carries this whole thought throughout the entire letter, and he, and he just expands on it more. He says, well, the, the verse that we know so well in this letter, God is love, whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. Love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The man who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
So we not only listen to his lessons, but we do it as Jesus did it. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus. It's, it's imitation. If you were a disciple of a rabbi in Jesus' day, it wasn't just that you, you sat at his feet and you listened to his lesson. No, the rabbi would walk and live and talk to people and engage with people. And the disciple would do everything the rabbi did. If the rabbi stood here and taught for 30 minutes on one leg, you as a disciple had to stand on one leg that whole time. That's exactly, you had to imitate the rabbi. And so with that in mind, think about this. How did Jesus walk? What did he do? He didn't just teach a good lesson. He had a conversation with a sinful Samaritan woman at the well. And he says to us, do this. He touched a leprous, unclean man. And he said, imitate that. He healed the demon-possessed in a hostile foreign land. And he said, go there. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. Lowell, where did, and I've been there. I've been to the Decapolis. I should have put a picture up. I'm so sorry about that. But boy, it was one of the most powerful lessons that I learned while I was in Israel. In Mark chapter 4, I'm not going to read, uh, Mark chapter 5, I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read the, the bookends of it. They went across the lake. By the way, the Sea of Galilee is only about four times as big as like Max and Cucky in Culver, Indiana. The Sea of Galilee is not a big, it's not like the Mediterranean. It's, it's a lake. They call it the sea, but it's a lake. You could see all the way across when you sit and when you're on the, when I was in the hotel on my balcony and I looked across the uh, Sea of Galilee and I could see the fishermen that were there. But on the other side of the lake from Tiberias is the Decapolis, which is a pagan land. And they cross the lake. Jesus is directing them. They cross the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, when the Jesus got out of the boat, I just want you to hold that. When Jesus got out of the boat, he immediately was confronted with this demon-possessed man who was possessed with a legion of demons. And in that experience, in this pagan place, Jesus heals this man. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. I'll go to verse 18. And Jesus was, as Jesus, was, Jesus was getting back into the boat. As Jesus was getting back into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him. And, but he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. What did I emphasize? He went across the boat, uh, across the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples. There's probably at least 13 of them in this boat. And the text says that Jesus got out of the boat. He just got out of the boat. But every Israelite, every Jew knew you do not step foot in pagan land. Once you do, you will not be welcomed back. Because they're the uncircumcised. They're the pagans. They are the evil ones. And we do not sully our feet. We do not let the dust of the ground touch us. And Jesus walks 
and his disciples are in this moment of tension. Walk where the rabbi walks. Do what the rabbi does. And they didn't. And at the end, we know because Jesus gets back into the boat by himself. No teaching here. It's just an observation of what happens. But it's powerful. It is powerful. If we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we go where he wants us to go and we follow his actions. And we just had, Katie and I just uh, did a prayer uh, walk in Buchanan, Michigan the last two uh, Wednesday nights where we were just, we walked the community and understanding the culture that is there. And I remember one of the individuals that was there was talking about, if, have you been to Buchanan? I spent nine years of my life with my family there raising our children in that place. And uh, it's a lot different than it used to be because it, per capita, it probably has the most dispensaries in all the state of Michigan. At least it feels like it. And some of you are shaking your head. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm not sure why you're shaking your head and saying, yeah, I know. But, but that's the point. It was like, what do I do when I'm walking downtown? Do I walk the town and I put my hand on the door and I pray for this evilness? Maybe. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But already we've tainted the experience and the people that are inside that store, that run the store, that are there. And we have not gotten out of the boat. Instead, what would it be like? I'm just asking you, what would it be like if we open the door and we walk in? No intention to buy anything. We just bring love. We just bring love. We say things today like this. You love the sinner, but you hate the sin. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible theology. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what John taught. Because once we do that, we've already put up a wall and a barrier between everybody that God created in his image and loves them. And John and Jesus and Paul never said that we, we put up this boundary that says, you love, but I'll never forget. I said this about one of my children to a very good friend of mine. I was sitting in the car, and I was agonizing over something that was going on in his life. And, and this friend said, and I, but I said, I love him, but, oh boy, I got, the, I, I got it that day, and I needed it. You never love but. You love because your truth if it is not full of love will be nullified every time you could have I, I just packed up my library in my house because I'm getting ready to move and I have books and books and books on truth what people feel about truth and all of those kind of things and I can have all of that folks and I can have a, a ton of knowledge but if I have not love what does Paul say if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love what am I a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here's what love is. It is patient. It is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. 
It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. What? Love never fails. Love never fails. I want to challenge you as I'm challenging myself. When you think of people in your neighborhood, in your world, maybe even in your own family, and maybe their lifestyle makes you uncomfortable, and all you want to do is to say, I love you, but remember Jesus' actions. He touched, and he embraced, and he welcomed. And folks, it's in those moments that real-life transformation occurs. That's what's going to transform lives. And that's where we need to be. It's tough. It's tough, because to be honest with you, there are a lot of places I don't want to go. And there are a lot of people that they live lives that it's just hard for me to be around because it's contrary to what I know that the truth is. And yet, my truth, the truth that we hold, always has to be filtered through love. Always has to be filtered through love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for that love that calls out to us that we are your beloved sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for shining a light on the path uh, that we might walk it in obedience, obedience to the greatest commandment. Father, challenge us to be able to step outside of our comfort and what we're used to, 